Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. One of the greatest gifts that we've been given uh, is communication, language. And uh, we don't know everything about how language was developed, and we see that God early on with Adam and Eve communicated with one another in the garden. Each day they would have a time to communicate language shared. And that is so important. So today uh, we want to talk about that, a little bit about that as we share here on Exploring Missions, our co-host Nathan Harper. Nathan, you know a little bit about communicating by language when you and I were working together on a church staff, the language that we that you learned a little bit of and took in high school was a language I learned only one word, and that's how to say hello. Couldn't even say goodbye good. Uh, I have a hard enough time with the English language, much less another language. But language and communicating the truth of who God is, the gospel, wow, that can, I think the book of Acts and the languages that was spoken three different times in the book of Acts at Pentecost, Samaria, and Ephesus. Uh, each time, God was showing the power of the gospel to even overcome language barriers. And that's yep. what God wants us to do, is to overcome all those obstacles to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah, the the gospel does overcome every obstacle. One of the largest obstacles, the biggest barriers in people um, hearing and responding to the gospel, responding to Jesus, and that good news uh, is language. You know, there's multiple languages spoken around the world. I don't know the exact number. It's in the thousands, thousands of different languages, and then you add dialects of those languages. You're even multiplying that. And there's something, you know, there's some languages that are, they're one language, but if you move from one country to the other that speak, quote-unquote, the same language, they can't even understand each other. And did you know if you, if you go to Morocco, let's say in northern Africa, and uh, learn Arabic as it's spoken there in Morocco, and then you travel across North Africa to, let's say, Egypt and speak your Moroccan uh, version of Arabic there, people in Egypt wouldn't be able to understand you. Or if you go on up further into Palestine or Iraq, they couldn't understand that dialect either. So it's all Arabic, but it's multiple dialects. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is lots of opportunity for confusion, lots of barriers when it comes to the idea of language. And even today, unfortunately, there's, there's languages that translations of Scripture have not made it into. Uh, we don't have translations of even portions of Scripture in certain languages. And that's an important work. But language is, is a crucial thing. When we look at missions, we try to understand how the gospel goes from one place to another, from one person to another. Language is an essential aspect of that. So in a lot of times when missionaries are preparing to go to a, 
country where the language is different. They learn the language, but yet at the same time, when they go, they have to translate that into their known language so that they'll have a heart for it. Uh, yeah. People call it a heart language. Right. And they may know the words of this nation or this country or this dialect of these people, but they don't necessarily know the heart meaning of the words that are being used. And right. So many times they have to translate it back into, and that's the missionary. So the people who are hearing the gospel— and they hear it in a language that is secondary to them. Yeah, you you've got a another barrier to overcome. Would that That's right. be yeah. correct? I mean, you know, some people might say, "Well, isn't it easier?" And especially when you talk about uh, people who have immigrated into, let's say, the United States, uh, where English is spoken, wouldn't it be easier to teach someone English? Well, yes and no. Yes, people need to learn English to function in our society here in the U.S. And that's an important thing to do, to teach people English, for others to learn English and and become functional. But it does not mean that uh, when they hear the gospel in English, if they picked it up and learned it as a second language, uh, that does not mean it it communicates to their heart. And so that primary language, the the mother tongue, if you will, the, the language spoken by their mother at home when they were growing up, when they're behind the closed doors, what language are they speaking to their children? That's their heart language. And that is the language that God uses to communicate to their hearts, to the innermost parts of that person. And that's why we need to translate God's word into those languages. We need missionaries, people to go and learn those languages and and speak the gospel in those languages where people can truly understand and make a genuine heart response. You've seen that in firsthand. Yeah, I've seen it. It's, it makes a huge difference. I, I remember an example, and I've, I've used this example before, but it's so uh, it's a perfect picture of, of what I mean. So several years ago, and I was living in, in Atlanta working with resettled refugees, I uh, met a young man from Congo. He spoke a little bit. His name was Elise, and Elise spoke uh, a little bit of English. He could function in English, but his heart language was actually French, okay? A lot of uh, Central African uh, peoples, they, they actually speak French as their heart language, and it's a specific African dialect of French, but anyway, so Elise spoke English. He also spoke French, his heart language, and I was kind of under the assumption that Elise had heard the gospel, and I know he had heard it in English because I'd shared it with him. And several of our team members have shared it with him. But uh, no one on our team spoke French. So one, uh, one summer, we had an, an intern come and, and, and stay, and she actually came from France. So she was able to share her testimony and the, share the gospel in French to Elise. And that was the first time he'd heard the gospel in his own heart language. And within a day... He had responded to the gospel and given his life to Jesus. And it's pretty in- interesting circumstances that surrounded that. But the point is, you can preach to someone all day long in a language that they understand, but it's not their heart language. It might not really penetrate to, to who they are. So it takes the heart language and the language of the Holy Spirit to draw them. Yeah. So when you look at taking the gospel to the nations— 
and you're looking at the obstacles that have to be overcome, and a lot of it is language and communicating with that. Paul went to Athens in Acts chapter 17, and uh, they had a God to everything. And uh, again, the Roman language or Greek language was spoken. That's the reason the fullness of time Jesus came because of all the the Roman Empire even worked into God's plan. I, I yeah. find that amazing. And Hellenization of yes, the Greek language. Yes, it did. It yep. just perfect timing. And Paul was able to communicate, but yet that communication was hard. So he found this idol to the unknown God. And he said, I want to make this God known to you. So yeah. that's the desire is to make God known unto them in the person of Jesus Christ. And he even uses not just the language of the of the people, but he uses some of their cultural cues and he gives credence to their own background and their own story, if you will, their own culture. And that's what uh, a good missionary will do. will bridge the gaps between the the missionary's background to the uh, people's background, but also take little cultural cues from from the people and tie it in with with the gospel in just a way that they can have a concrete picture of of what you're trying to say and communicate. And it's really interesting. And if you think a lot on it, it, it can kind of be uncomfortable. But Paul, a couple times in Acts 17, uh, in his gospel message, quotes from Athenian philosophers and poets. And one of the phrases he uses, this is in verse 28, he said, as, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Well, if you go find back in those days, the poem that Paul was quoting from, that actually, that, that poem was uh, written to Zeus, believe it or not. Now, God is, Paul is not equating Yahweh with Zeus, but he's using a bridge. He's using a cultural cue that they would understand and immediately pick up on. And he's using that to bridge to the gospel, connecting with their culture. And so heart language does that. Giving credence to people's culture does that. And it's very important that we use the tools God has given us uh, as we share the gospel with those around us. Our guest today on Exploring Missions is Blake Bess. Blake, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. I just want to share with people, I met you last night, so I haven't even known you for 24 hours. It's been about 12 hours, and I was speaking at a church, and you were visiting, and uh, you spoke for about five to 10 minutes there, and as quick as I heard you and saw the Spirit, I said, I want, I want Blake on Exploring Missions, so I thank you for coming today. Oh, well, thank you for having me here. And we want to identify you as where you're from and what you're doing and the mission that God has you on. And we want to discuss that, uh, not only what you're doing, but where you are serving. Because I found out God usually has a project for you to do, a land or a place for that he puts on your heart, a people group within that place usually. Uh, have you noticed how God zeroes in? It's kind of like he starts broad. But then as you follow him, he zeroes in on a more specific Amen. ministry. Yes, sir. And uh, that's what he's done in my life and in, in talking with others, whether it's preaching or whatever kind of missionary work it is. Uh, he zooms in on an area that, man, you have a passion for. So we want to talk about that today. Well, we want to talk about being a missionary. So where is your calling? 
I'm a missionary in Cotacachi, Ecuador. Cotacachi is in the Andes Mountain Range. It's north of Quito, which is the big center of of Ecuador. A little bit about two other hours north of there, and we're nestled in a valley between two volcanoes, Cotacachi and Imbabura, and it is mixed. It has some mestizo people. Those are mixed Quechua and Spanish, and it also has a large indigenous Quechua population. Okay. I know Quito is the highest, you know, far as elevation, high. Since it's in a valley, is it higher or lower than Quito? That gives us well, an idea. Well, let's see here. So Quito atmosphere. is just about 10,000 feet, and right. Cotacachi is about 2,000 feet lower than that. We're oh, about okay. 8,000 feet. So you got to go up and down to get there from <laughs> You have Quito. to go a lot of up and down <laughs> everywhere in Ecuador. Uh, yeah. That's the whole way. I heard someone say that about Ecuador, the same thing about West Virginia here in the United States. If they could flatten them out, they would be bigger than Texas or be bigger <laughs> than, you know. So it is a mountainous range there in Ecuador. It's a unique place, isn't it? Yes, it is. Very much so. Ecuador has a missionary history beyond measure. And those of us who are born in the 50s, and we, we remember the five men who gave their life reaching a people group there in Ecuador. And uh, what Satan meant for evil, God turned into good because people's heart was turned toward Ecuador and other mission points. It's amazing how God Amen. works in missions, isn't it? Yes, it is, sir. And if you don't know who those five are, just Google Jim Elliott or or, or Nate Sane, and you'll find out. And there's th- three others that they're not as well known, but they're remembered by God because they gave their lives reaching an unreached people group. Yes, talking sir. about the people that you're talking about there, the indigenous people, uh, they're unique. They're a smaller group than all the the Spanish-speaking people, but they're important, aren't they? Yes, sir, they are important. And you are reaching them. By the grace of God. Okay, tell us about what you're doing in order to do that and the language barrier and all the things that go with that. It's interesting. Well, I know that a lot of missionaries have this challenge, the language barrier, and having to, in some cases, learn it, in some cases, being able to work with locals who also speak maybe a bridge language or even the language that the missionary speaks. In our case, we do have people who are raised both with Quechua and Spanish, and I speak Spanish fluently by the grace of God. I've learned it over the years in Ecuador, but I have also actually had to learn some Quechua to be able to help train leaders because what we found is is that in some cases, even the men who have been helping a lot in the ministry and new believers who are excited about being able to share the gospel, it's really helped to be able to narrow down the essence of the gospel in their own language and be able to emphasize that back to them again and reassure and strengthen them in that truth even for the fellow laborers who also speak Spanish. So originally in the ministry in Cotacachi, and the ministry has been there for about five years now, started back in 2015, and the ministry began primarily just in Spanish, and little bit by little bit, we've had to adapt a little bit and learn more Quechua and communicate with the men who are leaders and with the men who are also sharing the gospel and getting family members together to be able to strengthen them in the truth, in the language of their heart. And right. their heart language is definitely Quechua. That's what I wanted to get to, the heart language. And a lot of people don't understand that. But when you have to speak 
another language to get to the language of their heart, there's usually a little bit missing. Right. And it's not only those that speak that language, but also when they get the Bible in their language, it changes everything, doesn't Amen. it? Amen. And if you've never seen that, uh, you can, again, you can YouTube this and find uh, different people groups who get the Bible. It's usually the book of John. The book of John is usually the first uh, by, uh, you know, book that is translated. And if they get the book of John, they'll, they'll send it on because John is so powerful, you know? Yes, and then sir. they get the New Testament. And when they get that translation in their heart language, there's a celebration that goes on. <laughs> And uh, so how many people are, are the Kichuan, how many that speak that language there in Kotokachi? Am I close to the yes, sir. stating that That's right? That's how you say it. Uh, how, what's the people group? How many? What's the culture like? Um, Tell us a little right, bit about well, it. So Kotokachi City is a little small. It's, and I can't remember the precise figures, but it's somewhere around eight, ten thousand people in Kotokachi City itself. But it's surrounded by forty-two different indigenous Quechua communities. Forty-two different ones. Forty-two different. But do they ones. speak that same language, or and do they have language? They speak both Quechua and Spanish. Okay. It depends on the community. I actually lived in one indigenous community for two years, and while I lived in that community, it was one that Quechua was a dying language, and it was actually on its way out. And so most of the people there did not speak a very clean Quechua, as it were. And then even you found that the youth really couldn't speak Quechua. And then now later working in the mountain communities, which is primarily where I'm working. So from Kotokachi City, we're talking about just half an hour maximum up into the hillside, up into the, up into the mountain because it's named after the Kotokachi Mountain, the city. And so just between the mountain and the city, in those communities instead, you will find some people, and they call them in Kichwa Ruka and, and um, Oruku and Paya, and those are the older men and women. Many of them, they will speak Spanish, but not very well. And so it's amazing, just an hour difference from one community to another, you go from most people preferring Spanish to some people they absolutely need to hear in Quechua. And so that's one thing that's made a big difference because God has really, you were talking about placing it on your heart, a people to work with. Right. And God's placed on my heart to work with these people that are in specifically these mountain communities. Small small groups. Small groups, yeah. yes. And I, I found that so true. We had a connection with Nicaragua, the church where I pastored before I came here at AFR, and uh, I was talking to the missionary that we and I said, "I'm a rural guy. I was raised in a small, small community, and I said a lot of people that they go to short-term mission trips, they go to a higher population area because there's so much, and they can come back and tell the numbers of people." And I said, "I I have my heart was for a smaller area." And it's amazing how God will lay that on a person's heart and say, this is, this is where God wants me to work. And he's done that for you then. Yes, sir. Very much so. And that's been something that as a missionary, sometimes you think about what it's supposed to look like. And it, the only way that it really looks is just how God calls you and tells you where he wants you to serve. And wherever he tells me to serve is where I want to serve. Yeah. I, I realize that has a, a lot like Caleb when they were going into the promised land. 
And when he went in with Joshua, he saw this mountain. And God gave him a heart for that mountain. It was a high mountain, and it's where the toughest warriors live. And so some people have a heart like Caleb. I want the highest and the toughest place there is, and I want to go there. So sometimes God calls men and women and say, I want to go to the most difficult place, God, that you have. And it can be in a town or area like Ecuador. But God calls people to these specific people groups and places, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And he's called that. Well, tell us a little bit about the culture there. Okay. Uh, is, it, is it different uh, than like the rural area, different than the city area there? Most of it is, and no matter what country it is. Yes, sir, definitely. And what's really interesting about Ecuador is that you definitely have a very living and active indigenous culture that's knit together with animism. And so the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars, you don't find a lot of that down in the city. Just 20 minutes down the hill, you're in the city, and most of the people are mestizo. That's mixed Spanish and Quechua. And they don't have that same culture that also involves from childhood having a personal consciousness that is that identifies with that Andean religion of, a lot of people are familiar with Pachamama, what a lot of people aren't familiar with is Inti Taita or Taita Inti, and that's the sun god. And the sun god for a lot of people in the old Andes communities is their number one god, is the sun god. Mm. And they worship him along with the earth, Pachamama. And they have this whole host. It's Pachamama, it's Taita Inti, it's also Mama Kisha, which is the moon, and the, even the wind, Waira. And it's really something that is an amazingly strong bondage for so many of these families and it's very rewarding and it's such an amazing blessing and gift to be able to watch these people be transformed by God and his word and coming to an understanding of what it says in Romans one twenty five, where it says that they worshiped the creature rather than the creator. Mm. And when they come to understand that personally, I have seen, especially the older men and women. And when they come to this realization and they say, wow, we see so clearly what we lived and what we believed before and what we now know to be true and the life and salvation we have in Christ There's one lady, her name is Maria. She's in a community that's called San Pedro. It's a community that's gone through a lot of difficult circumstances, some persecution. And the other day she said to me, I asked her about salvation. I said, what was your idea or concept of salvation before you received the gospel? And she said, we didn't know about salvation. Basically, we had no concept of salvation. And it's something that's so amazing. I, I, I have a Kichu instructor who has said to me directly that the major difference primarily, and we've really discussed it a lot, and I've shared the gospel with him on many occasions, and he's in essence said to me that what they don't have is redemption. And we've talked about it. I've said to him, you know, I can really see clearly that the belief system in which you were raised does not involve redemption. It does not involve a solution for man's sin and his need before righteous and holy God. And so that's really what they were missing before 
and what these often very tyrannical and very capricious quote-unquote gods that they believed in before had them in that bondage, and now they have liberty and freedom yeah. and salvation in Christ. Their worldview had the idea of power. Yes. Who, who you know, got that worldview of redemption, mm-hmm. uh, justification, but theirs is power. In other words, this God, the sun God, is greater than that God. Now, they may not verbalize that, but it's the whole idea of control and power. It has a grip on them. It's always satanic. So when you start to talk to those people, do you start with God the Father that he has a great plan and then go to Christ? The thing that's interesting is is that in Ecuador, there was so much Catholicism that most people already have a little bit of a Judeo-Christian okay. understanding. So most of them have heard side by side stories about Christ, stories about the Bible, and then also their ancient animism. And what's really different, and this is the thing that sometimes is difficult for them, is recognizing, and you said something about this last night. You said that when you come to Christ and you recognize that he is Lord, then that means, and I can't remember your precise point last night, so I'll take it in a different context right now, but Jesus Christ is the only Lord. He is the one Lord. He is the maximum authority. He's the best master. If you have to choose (laughs) under whose authority you're going to be, the loving and merciful Savior is the best one. And they really didn't have a concept of, well, it, it's either Christ or it's yeah. the rest of all of this. Yeah. And I don't come to them actually telling them anything about, well, you must choose between these two lords. I come to them with Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And when I tell them that Jesus Christ said that in John fourteen six. And people believe in Christ, it's amazing to see how God himself impresses that truth upon them. That if Christ is the only way, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, if salvation is not found in any other, and there's no other name under heaven given in among men by which we must be saved, and it's Christ alone, and they trust in him, then they start going, wow. And so so it's not, it's not inti. And then a lot of times then they come to this amazing point at which they recognize really like you said it's satanic we've seen a lot of people where after their salvation then they've come out and they've said well you know what since we were little then we would have various different manifestations of basic demonic presence in Mm. those indigenous communities it's real isn't it it's real you know when i hear that i hear two things concerning you know how this operates one is the Holy Spirit drawing people. He says he, he's come to all men. And then the Word of God. So you start with the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then you let the Word of God do its work. Amen. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So the Word of God does what we can't do, even with our stories, with our explanations. And sometimes we put too much on our presentation than the Word of God has in itself. Right. And so the Word of God is God's sword, and it does work. Well, Blake, I want to say thank you for the work that you're doing in Ecuador. It is wonderful what God has done in your life, 
And we praise the Lord that God would continue to bless you and use you in a magnificent way. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions. And our heart's desire is that you would be on mission for God as you serve Him around the street or around the world. 